This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our fourth episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please find me on social media at Home Bodies Yoga Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. Big news today. We're officially on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and Overcast and I think all the rest. If there's one you'd like to see us on, please let me know and I'll get on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and if you are listening and enjoying on any of those venues, hey, please uh, review and uh, rate. Rate and review. Sorry, I'm new at this. Rate and review so that um, more people can find the show. And if you're listening and you think... Uh, of someone who might get something out of the show or might enjoy it, please send it over their way. Moving on to what's been going on on my yoga mat. Uh, My practice has been pretty shitty, (laughs) but it's getting better. And, you know, there's a parallel there. I've been kind of shitty, but I'm getting better. Um, I've just been really anxious. And then the flip to that for me is sad. So I've been kind of flip-flopping between anxious and sad. And uh, when I'm anxious, I have a really hard time meditating because sitting with my thoughts is hard. And I actually think in the depths of like a lot of anxiety, meditation can be actually not helpful. It's uh, sort of, it's kind of the thoughts that are causing the trouble, I think. Um, And then, you know, when I'm feeling well enough to meditate, I've kind of lost that momentum. So it's harder to get my butt on the cushion, cushion. But I've been doing it. I've been getting my butt on the cushion again, which has been really helpful. Uh, The other thing I think, the other thing I've been doing when I'm too anxious to meditate is I go for walks, which it's cold and windy here, which sucks. But my coat is really good. So I've been going for walks with my hood up and staying cozy. Um, Yeah, and then when I'm sad, I have a hard time doing my yoga practice because... Um, I say to myself, oh, my body wants to lay on the couch right now because that's sort of the feeling of sadness in me. It's like heaviness. And then I lay on the couch and I feel sad. And then because I feel sad, I don't practice. And then I don't practice because I'm sad. And then, you know, it goes on and on. You know, they sort of feed each other. So, you know, I've had to kind of like force myself to practice um because I know you know from past wisdom that I will feel better and the way that I do that when I'm feeling not like practicing is I just do my favorite things which are sun salutations the breath and movement is really clarifying and focusing and calming for me and then a lot of seated forward folds I I don't know if this is I don't know if this is a normal thing but like when I get stressed where I feel it really is I I call them my haunches like my upper kind of upper butt area I get really sore there and I think I think it's because I think that's to do with fight or flight I feel like the I I'm not a fighter I'm a flighter for example the day after the election I went and applied for Hudson's passport (laughs) like okay fly (laughs) um so, so anyway so I um I think it's like those muscles getting ready to run, like energy gets trapped in there. So forward folds have been really helpful for that. And also, uh, you know, just getting my head on something like resting it on my own hands or my own body or a block 
is also really calming for me. So that those are things I've been doing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of pulling myself out of the trench, I guess. I won't talk about why I've been sad or anxious, but I'm, I'm positive you could relate. <laughs> um, yeah. And then let's see. You might say like, Oh, Rebecca, what are the tools you've been using besides yoga meditation? And I will tell you, it's been, um, like a half a box of animal crackers and a little too much wine, <laughs> which I want to be clear though. I don't think those things are bad. I think everything, things mostly have to do with their intention in doing them. And if my intention is to numb my feelings by eating too many cookies and drinking too much wine, then I, I don't think they're helpful tools uh, because as soon as their effect wears off, of course, those feelings come back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a, a yoga practice, an asana practice could be a bad tool if you hate yourself the whole time. You know, it it's not helpful in getting better. So that's that's where I am. Um, yeah, and you, yeah, and then I think I've just been feeling really vulnerable too. Like the, <laughs> like all of the, I I have to say this to be honest. This is like my like probably forty fifth take of this because I think all of a sudden I'm realizing people are listening, which is great. That's what I wanted, but it, there is a sense of like, oh, it's not just me in the closet alone anymore. There are people who hear it. <laughs> I'm actually blushing right now. Um, and yeah. And then, yeah, I've just had this, like, I think there's a kind of sadness sometimes when a creative endeavor is released. Like, of course, enthusiasm that the podcast is out, the first three episodes are live, but also this sense of, uh, it, you know, of course it's, it's not the fantasy of what I thought it was and nothing ever is, but even though I'm enthusiastic that the podcast is out, there's also this death of the fantasy of what I thought it would be, which, you know, I'm, I'm mourning a little bit. It's not as perfect as I wanted. Of course, nothing is. <laughs> so yeah, so that's where I am. Um, I really think you'll enjoy the interview today with Imbal Moran. She, she has these two traits that seem contradictory, but actually they're complimentary where she's really intuitive but she's also really analytical so she can sort of verbalize those like things in the back of your mind that have been like shaking around that you can't quite say she says it um and and in this interview and also in our classes I've just always felt um really grounded she's like really grounding so just like a great episode great interview to listen to especially if you're feeling like you just need some calm grounding just like she's like the grown-up in the room (laughs) in a good way like in a really good way um yeah so I think you'll really enjoy this interview so here is Imbal well welcome Imbal thank you so much for being here Thanks for having me. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. um, Let's see. I live in Oakland, California, originally from Israel and have been living in the Bay Area since 2011. Uh, I started practicing yoga 15 years ago in Israel. 
um, and been teaching since 2011. And as of, I think, a week and a half ago, two weeks, uh, I'm, I'm a student in a teacher training. It's a two-year training um, that's geared towards getting an assessment to become a certified Iyengar yoga teacher. Um, so I just started year one. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. And how many years is that? It's two year. It's a two year long training that gets you ready for an assessment for certification. Oh, wow. <laughs> so for, yeah. So uh, how long it'll actually take you to get certified depends on, I guess, you know, how long it takes you. Yeah, but, that makes sense. Yeah. But the, the course is two years. And of course, you can keep on going if you need more time. Uh, so then what is your yoga practice like these days? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> so um, I can say that around like the beginning of COVID, um, some of my teachers, some of my main teachers have been practicing in the Iyengar yoga system for the last two years. And when COVID started, um, a few of my main teachers really really focused on pranayama. So um, my personal home practice really focused on that probably from the beginning of COVID and up until I started this teacher training. Um, I could say really the, the times that I would come to practice on my mat by myself was pranayama. Um, and, you know, outside of my own home practice, um, I take about, before the teacher training started, I took about four yoga classes a week online. Um, and then I teach, I was teaching three times a week. So yeah, I guess you could say my formal yoga practice was, you know, pranayama in the mornings, uh, some days yoga class in the evenings, uh, twice, two, three times a week teaching. Uh, so it was, it was pretty big, but ever since the teacher training started, now I also have asana, uh, an asana component that I've been doing. So morning pranayama, <laughs> then I go, you know, to work at my desk and um, in the afternoon asana poses. And then, you know, I cut down on the classes that I take and I'm only teaching twice a week. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. I could definitely say that uh, a lot of yoga and a lot of pranayama has definitely eased some of the tension of um, just all these changes and all the things that have been going on. And just for uh, someone who might not know, when you say pranayama, what, what does that consist of for you? So pranayama is uh, the limb. So if, the, if yoga practice is kind of codified into these eight limbs, uh, asana is kind of comes before pranayama. So asana is the physical postures and then pranayama is the, the breath work aspect. And so prana is our life energy, life force. And that ayama means directing it uh, kind of almost, I mean, you could say controlling it, but it's more like having agency. Um, and it's breath. It's a lot of breath work, uh, and the idea is that the asana, the physical practices, prime us, prepare us 
for the more subtle aspects of breath work, which primes us and prepares us for the next few limbs that have to go, that have to do with going inwards and kind of doing more contemplative work, which eventually leads you to the state of yoga, which is the absorption with the universal or God or however you want to perceive it. So it's kind of the first, you know, asana and pranayama are kind of the more tangible practices, um, more practical practices of yoga. So in a pranayama practice, are you sitting still on your mat cross-legged or, or what, what position are you in usually? Uh, it's called supported shavasana. So uh, in the Iyengar method, uh, pranayama is first taught uh, lying down uh, oh. supported. So like you're lying down on a bolster um, or a folded blanket. Like basically you have height under your spine and a little pillow under your head. So your body is kind of like you're lying on the floor, but your upper body is more at a diagonal. So the chest is open. And the idea is that it's just so much more approachable to work on your breath when you're lying down. Everybody can lie down. Uh, everybody will be comfortable lying down. Uh, sitting up, right, is uh, just more advanced. And for a lot of people, that is going to be their focal point, just sitting up straight and finding comfort in their seat that they won't be able to focus on breath. So in the Iyengar method, you really uh, learn to connect to your breath and to these practices lying down. So it kind of just takes that um, discomfort out of the equation. Uh, and then you uh, move to sitting up. So uh, I've been very lucky that one of my main teachers has just been teaching a weekly pranayama class. So I you know, take her class on Fridays and just kind of practice all week along the things that we learn. And she's been very methodical about like slowly adding on elements. So the first couple of months, I was just lying down, you know, on my back and observing my breath. And then as we were learning some more techniques, applying those techniques, they're all very simple. You know, there's no, it's really pretty straightforward. Um, and then, you know, we kind of progressed to sitting up. Uh, but now like my morning practice, it, you know, I'll wake up and um, and come to my little yoga space and I'll light a candle and do some chants. It helps me to chant to just kind of get in that headspace of reverence and appreciation and connection to my teachers and the teachings. And then, uh, and you know, that's just a few minutes of just, I guess, getting myself in that space. And then I lay down for pranayama, um, I try to set up everything the night before oh, smart. Uh, so that it's not an issue. So I can just, you know, I sit down, you can even see behind me, you know, it's still set up from the morning, but I'll sit down to do my uh, chants and then I'll lay down uh, and I'll just put on my timer like 10, 15 minutes uh, to do a laying down practice. And then I get up and put on my timer three five minutes to do a sitting down practice. Um, and that's it. So that's uh, my pranayama practice that I've been doing daily. And when I say daily, I mean mostly daily. <laughs> you know, there's, there's my uh, intention is to do it every day. Uh, but, you know, on the weekends, I usually don't do it. I usually won't put an alarm on to wake up on the weekends. 
Um, you know, there's days that traveling, you know, there's just, I think that with home practice, it really helps to have an intention and to also really give yourself that leeway and flexibility um, to let it, you know, to not have this rigidness or this feeling of like, I have to do this. And of course, if you see yourself not doing it, you know, continuously for no good reason, then that's definitely a, a red light. But um, I would say that I do this practice that I've been, you know, that I just described about, you know, four or five times a week. Now with the teacher training, I guess, you know, it, I've a lot more focus it's really is like five times a week. I just don't do it on the weekends. Mm. What would you say the effect of the pranayama practice has on the rest of your day? Just in general or specific? Oh man, it's so big. I mean, the practice is really quite simple, you know, as a time as 10 minutes, 15 minutes on my back and then three, five minutes sitting upright, but yeah, it has such a huge effect. Um, just starting my day off like that. And, you know, some days I'll lie down and my mind is wandering. Like I could barely concentrate on my breath and some days it's really there, uh, but it doesn't even matter. Like even on days that I'm not that concentrated, even just taking that time to start your morning with yourself before the sun rises and to lie down and be with your breath or be with your thoughts. You know, if you're distracted in your thoughts, then I notice that a lot of times that distraction isn't really a distraction. It's me processing things. Like I'm thinking mm -hmm. about things, things that are, you know, not obsessively planning or something, but just processing. So I find that just giving myself that time in the morning before my day begins, before I take care of my child, before I do my office work, before everything, uh, it just gives me a sense of spaciousness um, and connectedness to myself, to my intentions um, around, you know, how I want to do all these things that I do. I so deeply care about all these different aspects of my life. And I want to show up in such a, you know, the best way that I can. And to just take this time really makes a difference. It really makes a difference to just kind of focus on those things and then in the afternoon you're doing this um asana practice and and especially uh, i think maybe people don't know what it's like to be in a teacher training what it what's like your asana practice like now that you're in a teacher training so i've been i feel so lucky so grateful that i've just been given a syllabus like i have a little you know workbook with like, this is what you practice on this day and this is what mm -hmm. you practice on that day. So I've been given sequences. So can definitely say structure is magical, you know? Um, so I just, you know, I practice the, the sequence that I'm supposed to be practicing <laughs> that day. Um, so that, yeah, so liberating. It's so liberating to just be told what to do. <laughs> I can, I think especially, I completely agree. It's like as a parent, especially because you're sort of, not that I tell Hudson what to do all day, but you're making the decisions all day. So it's just so nice for someone to be like, today you're doing this. And you're like, okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And these, um, these sequences have been designed by a very senior Iyengar yoga teacher. That's, I mean, I don't even know how long she's been teaching, but probably since the eighties. So the sequences are also very well designed. So, you know, it's also just, I feel like I'm in really good hands just following <laughs> the guidebook. Um, 
But, you know, in preparation to the podcast, I was thinking about different times in my life where I didn't have this kind of super luxury to just be given, a, you know, a path of practice to when it when I was on my own and just trying to figure it out. Um, the, the times that my home asana practice thrived the most was when I was practicing sequences um, out of books. Mm. And um, the times that my home practice felt, you know, uh, choked was when I was trying to get on the mat and just kind of do what feels good, um, which sounds so good in theory, you know, listen to your body and then kind of do what feels good. And I think for many people that could work. Um, I think that for me as a yoga teacher, I was very quickly going into class planning and class sequencing and just kind of thinking about what I'm giving to others. And it really didn't feel like something that I'm giving to myself. It just felt like I'm just doing preparatory work towards this class that I'm going to be teaching tomorrow or, you know, in a day or two. So when I had sequences that I was practicing for the purpose of, you know, like a sequence for um, PMS or a sequence for neck pain or, you know, when I had these sequences that I could just follow, I felt so much, again, like there's a structure and, you know, you're being held in a practice instead of, you know, just that the, the no structure. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm showing up on my mat trying to listen to my body, but really my mind is taking over and, you know, planning my class. So, um, so yeah, I think in general, like for people who are listening to this podcast and looking for inspiration for their own home practice, um, I would really recommend, uh, and I, I will recommend some specific books uh, that have helped me. Um, and also, you know, like uh, even reaching out to your yoga teacher and, you know, maybe even doing one or two or three private sessions in which you can ask, you know, specifically for sequences uh, for certain purposes that you're, you know, you want to, 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 um, to address with your yoga practice. Yeah, I will definitely put those book suggestions in the show notes so anyone can find them there for sure. Um, but yeah, what you were saying about the listening to your body, I always thought that was so interesting that people act like it's so easy, like your body speaks <laughs> English or whatever. Like, it's, I felt like when I was pregnant, everyone was always like, well, just listen to your body. And I'm like, well, I've spent my whole life telling my body to be quiet. So it's like very hard to actually listen sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's so. very advanced. It's actually very advanced. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> no, it so is. It's, it's doable, but you don't start there. You know, mm -hmm. you don't, you, 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 most people, you know, there's always anomalies and prodigies and people that have an inclination but let's say the average Joe Schmo gets on their mat trying to listen to their body, they will end up listening to their head. They will mm -hmm. end up listening to their mind. And, you know, whether it's, you know, preparing a class if you're a teacher or, you know, maybe if you're a really dedicated student and you're trying to listen to your body, you might end up going towards, you know, kind of ambition poses, like the poses that you kind of really want to kind of hit and or you know really get and so you might not be listening to your body or you're more listening to your mind you know trying to 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 attain something instead of really like take care of yourself and use this as a time for um you know introspection and just self-care 
so you said you've been practicing for 15 years, which is a long time. How would you say your practice has, I don't want to say evolved, but sort of maybe ebbed and flowed or changed in that time? Um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of periods. I, uh, as a kind of young student of yoga, I uh, took a lot of classes and um, I actually went to India I think about two years after I started practicing yoga, I uh, took a six-month trip to India to just be immersed in the culture and see what yoga I could find. Um, then, uh, yeah, then I just continued to practice in classes. I was almost always taking classes. And eventually I started a teacher training, uh, and that's kind of when I first started to attempt home practice. Um, then when I moved to the US, I did a teacher training and started teaching. And there's something, there's really something to be said about, you know, when you're teaching yoga, it takes your practice to the next level. In some ways it ruins your practice because <laughs> there's uh, just such a, it's just such a privilege to be a student and to be in that kind of space of studentship where you're supported by teachers and all of a sudden you take that seat of the space holder, of the supporter. Um, and in so many ways, it really enhances your practice. Um, I was actually reading an article that BKS Iyengar wrote about his journey. And he was saying that it took him 12 years of yoga practice before he actually started to truly be enthusiastic about it. Um, and he really only really got serious about his yoga practice when he started teaching students and he wanted to you know that that interaction with students it was inspiring for him to come with something substantial to share with people and of course he saw the own benefit his own health benefits so that was kind of a, a motivating factor to get better because he was very sick but he but like even more motivating was like having something substantial to to share with people and, and motivate people to practice so there's something really magical about kind of moving into that space of a teacher. Um, so yeah, then when I started become when I became a teacher, you know, just learning to teach yoga is such a learning curve that I think most of my practice was really then kind of directed into that, you know, I, uh, you know, like I was saying, I would get on my mat and try to do yoga practice for myself, but I would end up planning classes and sequences and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, even at, at, when I was taking classes, when I was taking classes from this kind of perspective of a teacher, so you really notice everything in such a different way when you're kind of more aware of the, the architecture of the practice. So for years, I was kind of uh, in that teacher mode. And uh, then I had my son. And even before I had my son, I was pretty burnt out. <laughs> I was pretty disillusioned and burnt out from the kind of yoga industrial complex. And, um, and I knew that when I had my son, I was going to take a break. And I did, you know. And also, I, I had no idea how consuming it would be to take care of a baby. Uh, but you know, I, I kind of had in mind that I need a break and I'll take a break. Uh, and then baby came along and I realized that it wasn't even a choice. Like I really needed to uh, put my full attention into that. 
Uh, and I do now, you know, looking back, I do look at that time as part of my yoga practice, actually, mm-hmm. um, because uh, the the reverence that I had for him and for motherhood and for the situation that me and him were in, that we were was a stay-at-home mom for two years, that we we were just connecting, and you know, and I and all the zeal and all the fire that I had in learning yoga and learning to teach yoga from the years before, really, it just translated into motherhood. You know, I had this burning zeal to learn motherhood, you know, how there's so much things to learn. And so, you know, all of my studentship and all of my, you know, kind of discipline for practice just went into motherhood. Um, And that was what was needed at the time. Um, And during those two years, you know, I, I do think I practiced, I can barely even remember. I mean, it was not, it was not the focal point. I probably took some yoga classes. I probably found myself on my mat a few times, but mostly I was immersed in that. And then, you know, after two years, it, he got bigger and, you know, I was ready to send him to care and I felt ready to kind of go back. And so I went back into teaching and and then I knew that, you know, I had to really approach it in a different way. And um, and that's when I really got into the Iyengar yoga method. And it just seemed so much more reasonable and uh, methodical and focused. Um, and I got um, the book that we'll, we'll put in the show notes, uh, the Woman Book of Yoga, the Woman's Book of Yoga and Health, which was uh, written by two pretty senior Iyengar yoga teachers, and they just have some really great sequences in there for all kinds of women's health issues uh, and emotional issues. And you know, just it just seemed very relevant. And I just started doing sequences from there. And that one thing led me to another to pursue actual human <laughs> Iyengar <laughs> yoga teachers. Um, so yeah, and then ever since I you know, started practicing with teachers, I feel like I've much more shifted back into students. Um, and I, even though I'm still teaching, uh, but I feel like teaching is really a place where I synthesize all the things that I'm learning. So yeah, that's, I guess, my yoga journey. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, so much of that I love, but I definitely, personally, I noticed such a difference in your teaching when you came back from maternity leave. Like, there was just this new, uh, I, I don't know how else to say it, except that you make, somehow you make poses I usually think are boring seem very exciting. <laughs> like, like I was all of a sudden like, wait, Shalabhasana is an amazing pose. <laughs> or like, <laughs> wait, this is a great put. And I'd be like, wait, I do love, you know, half moon or whatever. Um, so I, I, the reason I asked that question to you specifically is that you've always, it just always seems to me that you have like such an endless amount of inspiration. And it sounds like that's really coming from you just following what you're interested in this whole time. You've just been kind of, is that right? Just kind of following the path. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think also it is important to, I think one of the things that can happen is that you're exposed to other things, to new things, and then you try to fit it all in and it gets overwhelming. Um, Like I had a period where I was very, very inspired by uh, Buddhist insight meditation and took classes and, you know, did a retreat and 
uh, practice daily. And, you know, so for, for a, a while, my practice shifted from, you know, getting on my mat and doing asana to sitting every day for meditation. And, you know, when you have a kid, when you have a job, when you have different aspects of your life kind of pulling for your attention and your time, sometimes you just can't do it all. Like you just kind of mm-hmm. have to choose. And so uh, I always felt very comfortable or just really trusted my process to know that like, well, if right now I'm really drawn to insight meditation or nonviolent communication or, you know, just learning something that is in the realm, but it's not a formal yoga practice that I can allow myself to stray. I can allow myself to go there. I can allow myself to dedicate time for that um, and to shift my practices to that, you know, um, I still feel, you know, it's like there's still a connection to yoga. I'm still teaching. I'm still taking classes, but there's, you know, it's like less because you're, because you're also now dedicating some time to this new thing. Um, I, you know, I think that was, it's really helpful because it really just builds so much more context. Um, And so I don't, you know, I, I, it could be overwhelming when you try, when you feel like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do my asana practice. I have to do my pranayama practice and then I don't have time to do this other thing, you know, and it's just giving yourself that freedom that, you know, if something's really drawing you, then go for it. And, you know, maybe that is the divergence of your path in a new direction, but maybe it's just kind of a little detour to, to just deepen some knowledge and you, you know, you find yourself right back, you know, on your mat even stronger. So I think it's really important to, to allow yourself to follow your interests and kind of, you know, know that your, your practice is going to ebb and flow. It's always there, uh, but it's going to ebb and flow and it's going to take def- different manifestations. Yeah. That that's so interesting that it's also a sense of like confidence to say, like, I trust myself that this thing I'm interested in is worthwhile there's like a certain amount of like confidence in letting yourself stray from whatever that what you think yoga is for sure. Like I was even thinking, and now this seems like a silly question that that we've been talking uh, or you've been talking to me. Um, I was thinking like, Oh, I wonder if like pranayama practice counts as meditation. (laughs) Like, does that count? Like, can I check my meditation box off, (laughs) you know, but it seems like so much deeper than that really. It's funny that you bring that up. I um, was just a, a week or two ago, I guess. Uh, the studio that I teach at, Left Coast Power Yoga, was doing this, or they are doing an October challenge for the new moon. And they asked me, well, do you want to do a, a, yo- a meditation and tarot workshop uh, for this challenge? And I said, Shh. well, at first I was like, well, I don't know. I haven't really been meditating uh for a while, you know, cause I, I did have a good long stint that I was doing insight meditation and almost daily. And I was like, wow, you know, that's kind of like uh, phony of me to go and teach people meditation when I haven't been medita- meditating. And then I realized like, wait a minute. Yes, I have. I've been waking up every morning and chanting and laying down and observing my breath and then sitting up and observing my breath and getting really quiet and setting intentions. Like that's definitely meditation. And so I taught this whole workshop of, you know, meditation in the yogic lineage is, you know, meditation comes after asana. Well, it comes after yama and niyama, the first two limbs of, you know, 
even just kind of getting in the right headspace with yourself and with the community around you to practice yoga. And then, so that's the yama and niyama. And then you get on your mat and you practice the asana, the physical poses to work some through some of the gross kind of nervous energy to prime yourself to settle down for pranayama for more subtle work of breath to prime yourself for meditation um and so in the yogic approach you know it's not it's not a separate practice it's you know it's a continuation um of these limbs and you know the with the eight limbs you have yama and niyama and pranayama asana and pranayama so those first four of the eight are kind of just getting you ready for meditation. And then the fifth one is pratyahara, which is kind of the drawing of the senses inward. So you can see that as the bridge of going from the kind of more external to a more internal place, which the previous four prepared you for. And then after pratyahara, the you have the more like the last three you have dharna the concentration like then you're really in a place where you can concentrate and then you can uh really focus and then you can kind of come into that state of samadhi um which is the absorption the connection that that state of yoga and so yoga is a state of connection and it is also all the practices associated with achieving said state of connection um so yeah meditation is an integral part it's just hard to start there and so when you know a lot of people have a hard time with meditating and i do think that uh it is so much more easier when you have an established asana practice and if you know yoga asana isn't your thing then there's so many other physical you know there's so many other ways to 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 connect to the physicality of your body and so i think just really would be helpful any physical practice of course yoga has um other aspects and benefits to it but but really any physical practice and then kind of uh taking that into deeper kind of focused work with your breath and your breath is is so deeply connected to your mind your energy your nervous system so you know priming your nervous system for the state of meditation so in the yogic lineage you don't teach meditation as much as you know like in buddhist lineage you would because it really is a state that arises from the conditions you've created through your practice yeah yeah if you're lucky right yeah. <laughs> or sometimes if it happens for you for sure yeah <laughs> it and then you know it it helps to have the momentum of practice so mm -hmm. when you practice sporadically you know it's um it's sporadic you know it's but when there is this momentum of daily practice or let's say when i say daily i like i said mostly daily because mm -hmm. you know you need a day off you need to have your an unstructured day you need to be able to travel without worrying about it you need to be able to have guests in your home you know your daily rhythms are going to get disrupted and that's fine um, but not having a daily rhythm 
is going to contribute to not having success <laughs> with practice. <laughs> so, you know, if you want success in practice, if you want to kind of have a practice support your daily living, it really helps to have a daily rhythm. And then in that daily rhythm to give yourself these times in which you're connecting with yourself and you're giving to yourself. And so, you know, and then, yeah, and allowing yourself to choose what that is, you know, maybe there's certain times where you're really drawn to meditation. Uh, I, you know, when I first learned about nonviolent communication, it just blew my socks off. And, you know, for a whole year, that was my focus. Uh, you know, almost every practice I did, every book I read, um, you know, that was my focus. Um, there's definitely times where, you know, Reiki, I studied Reiki and tarot, you know, it's like, so, but it, when you give yourself this, you know, in your daily rhythm, this time for yourself, all these modalities, all these different things were ways for me to connect to myself and learn more about myself and have more awareness about my needs and come up with creative ways to meet my needs, then, you know, have more tolerance for other people's needs um, and to be able to support, you know, their needs. Uh, so it's, it's really, that's, you know, it's like when you have that momentum of daily rhythms and daily practice, uh, it really supports that. And then you don't feel like, well, you know, this might happen, it might not happen. It's like, there's now this momentum, you know, it's, it's a path and it's built. And, you know, there's definitely going to be days that are, are, you know, feel better than other days, like, oh, this practice felt much more deep, or now I was less focused. But I think it does have an accumulative effect that, you know, when you show up consistently with flexibility, to let that consistent you know, to like that the content can change, but the intention to be consistent is always there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um, it, there's a Tom Robbins quote that's um, stay uh, true to your in, uh, intentions, but flexible in your approach. And that sounds like mm-hmm. that's very much sort of your attitude about connection with yourself in general it's like I mean it's a relationship right so the same way you know there are different ways to connect to a friend or a partner there are different ways to connect to yourself like it, it makes a lot of sense sure yeah yeah you know the, the the time the year the two years that I spent with my son there was definitely nights that I wasn't getting any sleep and I was sitting with him you know holding him in the rocking chair and you know, and I would see those moments as my time for practice because I could so easily go into the like suffering mode, like, why isn't he sleeping? What am I doing wrong? Why am I sitting on this chair at three o'clock in the morning? You know, I could also be looking at Facebook, but, you know, instead I was holding him and, you know, I I would remember just having these images of me being held, you know, me being held by some universal mother and holding me as I hold him, you know, and I, and, and that really helped me, you know, in those moments have reverence. And now, you know, looking back, I so missed those moments, (laughs) so small, you know, sleeping on me. And, um, and then, you know, those, when he was bigger and he would play and, and he was, you know, he would just play and we just, I would sit and watch him play for hours. And that seemed like practice for me, you know, to put my phone away from me and to really be present and to really watch him with wonder and, 
you know, so that felt like that was my practice because of course the, the very little free time that I had, you know, it's like when you have, when you're a mother of a young one, you don't have much agency over your time. You know, they're during their waking hours, you're taking care of them. They're very demanding (laughs) (laughs) of attention and care. And when they're asleep, you know, hopefully you're getting some sleep. And then, you know, if there's an hour or two or three in that time, that you can have for yourself, the last thing you want to do is feel obligated to roll out your mat. I mean, at least that's how I felt like, you know, that little bit of time was like, oh, maybe I'll watch a TV. Maybe I'll meet a friend. Maybe I'll actually have a conversation with my husband. You know, (laughs) I was not not looking to, you know, take myself away and roll out a mat. I uh, I am sure that many people would, you know, do that. But for me, it was not, that wasn't what felt replenishing in those little windows of time that I had to myself. But I really did. Uh, I really did see the the time that I spent with my son as my yoga, and you know, because I, I was doing it with intention and I was doing it with care and I was really um, present. And he is such a dream, you know. He's, he's <laughs> almost he's almost five, and he's just gosh, yeah, he's just the best kid ever. Like it's so. I feel like those two years that. You know, I shifted my practice to my motherhood. I felt, I, I, I truly believe, you know, I'm not just kind of saying that to like cover my tracks. <laughs> I really do believe that it was, you know, it's just the consistency of my, my practice. Even though at the time I thought, well, you know, I'm not doing yoga and I don't know when I will, but right now it just doesn't feel like what I should be doing. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I, I just keep coming back to your classes, but you can sense that like, this just like a neat wisdom of like, I don't know. The, I think the reason that your classes, I, again, the reason I like them so much is like, you have this innate wisdom that like, this is what you should be doing. And there's a sense of it in the class where I'm like, yeah, it's like one, I trust myself and two, I trust you. Um, and then just like you ex- exude that. So I'm sure your son too, like, <laughs> I just imagine he just imagines what you'd like him to do and can sense the right thing. He just does it all the time. <laughs> he's very, he's, he's very agreeable. He's very, uh, oh, really? That's communicative. And I mean, he, he definitely has his moments that he will, you know, be stubborn about a thing, but very communicative and very, um, wanting harmony. Um, but yeah, yeah, the other day I was, you know, trying to get him to do something with his schoolwork because now he's in like transitional kindergarten. So he's learning letters and I wanted him to do something that the teacher asked and he didn't want to do it. And, you know, I asked him again. He said, no. And I said, all right, you know, that's what your teacher said. And I'm not going to fight you about, over this. You know, you could you could also just not do it. That's fine. He said, okay, I'll do it. And then he, <laughs> you know, did it and like, then did it, you know, really well, like, you know, so yeah, he's, it's great. I think that children can really sense, you know, when, when you give them the attention that they need and God knows they need so much, um, it's not endless, you know, they do feel satiated and then they set you free to pay attention to other things. <laughs> That's definitely, yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like there's so much to learn from children and I've only had a kid for like almost two years but uh the one thing is whenever they act out it's like oh they want attention like almost always when Hudson acts out it's like he wants me to give him attention 
And I feel like that's true about almost everyone, like just people. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. When we act out. It's like, because we want someone to say, hey, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Do you want to read a book? <laughs> you know? Yeah, we all need so much attention. <laughs> it is insane. And, you know, one of, one of my teachers once said that our most valuable assets, our most valuable resources are our attention and our time. And that's why practice is so transformative when you can give yourself attention and time. Like that's what home practice is, is you're giving yourself attention. You're giving yourself time. And just like children flourish, you know, anything flourishes when you give it attention and time, you know, any project, any human, any plant, you know, whatever it is, whatever endeavor it is, um, if you give it your attention, you give it some time, it will grow. And the beautiful thing with these practices is that it's, it's, it doesn't have to be so much time, you know, like, like I was saying that my morning practice can be like a 30 minute practice, it could be 20 minutes, it could be, you know, on a time crunch day, it could be 15 minutes. And that the physical practice of asana, you know, it could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, if that's what you have. And believe me, 15, 20 minutes is enough to, to feel better. And it could be an hour, but you know, like, I think one of the common mistakes that people make is, well, there's a few things. I, one of the biggest ones, I think, when a person is just starting with home practice is the expectation that it should be like a yoga class that they take in a studio. Um, and it's just not, it's just a completely different beast. Um, what you get in the headspace that you're in when you go to a public class in a studio, I mean, now we're not in studios, but like even on Zoom, you know, when you when you go on Zoom and you're in, you know, you're part of a live class, that's one thing and it is nourishing and amazing, you know, in its own in its own degree. But it is a completely different thing when uh, you step on your mat all by yourself at home, you know, without anybody there. <laughs> and uh, it's a different feel. It's a different, you know, everything's so different. So I think that, you know, first thing is to just not even, to just not even expect your home yoga practice to be like a practice that you would get in class with a teacher. Um, and then also like, so along those lines, you know, like the duration, like if you really only have 10 minutes. So I used to do on Yoga Glow, uh, it's like an online on-demand yoga and uh, Jason Crandall, he had this sequence that I loved. It was called 12 Poses in 12 Minutes. And uh, that, I think that was the name of the class. And I must have done that class a million times like I, i'm not kidding like at least i don't know 60 70 times like i would just like that for a while that was my home practice because he just he just picked like 12 poses i remember there was like a downward dog in there forward bend a pigeon a handstand i don't even remember the or maybe it was like 10 poses in 10 minutes something like but anyways it was like really simple poses not anything too crazy um, but I just found it so good. You know, each, we were a minute in each pose. The poses were well picked out. They kind of hit all the like hot spots. Um, and it was great. It was, just, it was like what I could do, like 12 minutes, 10 poses, 12 poses. Um, 
so that's something too, you know, it's like the duration, it doesn't have to be this big whole long process. Um, and it really helps. It really, like, I, I think that it, like the key to unlocking home practice is at first just using sequences, you know, just using mm -hmm. sequences that you can find. Um, Cause so, you know, without structure, we get lost. Yeah. It just helps to have, to know what you're practicing. And also like it, I think it really makes a difference. Like when you go on the mat and you know that there's, you're held, like, you know what you're doing, you know, it's so much easier to go and do it when you, when you don't know what you're going to do. And then you're thinking, okay, I should go practice. I should go get on my mat. I should go practice. But you have no idea what you're going to do there. It's so daunting. Like it just really makes you not want to do it because it's like, well, it's like, actually, I'm just now going to go into this unknown. Like I'm going to make time to go into the unknown. It's rough, you know, whereas when you know, like, okay, I, I'm going to go onto my yoga mat and I'm going to do this practice that, um, that I've done. And I like, you know, it's also really nice when you, when you try a sequence and you like it, like, Oh, this feels really good. Then it's like, you know, you you think about, Oh, I'm going to go on the yoga mat and you, you know what it tastes like. It's like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to have that. You know, you, you're, you're longing for it because you know what it is. So that helps. Yeah. Yeah, well, this has been so great. And I could honestly talk to you forever, but that would be a long <laughs> podcast. And I'm sure you have things yeah. to do. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, when we're done, I'm going to practice. Oh, okay. Well, then that's my plan. <laughs> we should let you go. But first, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you about a sequence or if they want to take your class? Um, so my website is inbolish.com. Uh, so it's my name, but like an adjective. <laughs> and that's also my um, Instagram handle, at inbolish. Um, and then my email is also inbolish <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, I-N-B-A-L-I-S-H um, is my handle. And then you're teaching, uh, what days are you teaching? Um, I teach at Left Coast Power Yoga online on Zoom, um, Tuesday and Thursday, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., uh, Sunrise Hatha Yoga. Um, yeah, that's what I teach. Awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's all online, so you can, uh, can join me. Yeah, for, and in Chicago, that's 9 a.m., so you don't even have to be up at the sunrise. If you're in Chicago, <laughs> you get to sleep in a little bit. <laughs> yeah um, well thanks now again. it's dark now when i'm teaching that oh class, yeah dark in here but yeah yeah it has been dark in the morning lately well thanks again involved it's been really great thank you yeah thanks <laughs> for having me i hope you got not just inspiration for your practice from that interview but um some really concrete ways to establish and also free have freedom in establishing the sort of practice that you want to do. Uh, I know I know, I got that from that interview. Uh, so last week we talked about um, Purusha and Prakriti and how Prakriti is that stuff of the earth, the, the world, and Purusha is that light and how sometimes we get so shaken up, Prakriti gets so shaken up that we can no longer see the light. Um, and then I'll skip a little bit to Sutra 112, which is like, how do I still the mind, right? How, how do I sort of allow that property to settle so I can see the light? And it, 
112 says, both practice and non-reaction are required to still the patterning of the mind, which really, you know, those are another pair of opposites. So in Sanskrit, practice is abhyasa, which means literally to sit facing. So it's this discipline to keep coming back to your meditation cushion, to keep unrolling your yoga mat, to um, take away the distractions for me of like cookies and wine to sit and face sadness or sit and face anxiety or sit and face a shitty situation to see it right and and not uh, sort of distract yourself from it and that's requires a lot of discipline and then the opposite of that really <laughs> to sit and face is to not is non-reaction right to not reach for I don't know why I keep using this, but to to not reach for that bag of animal cookies or to not reach for anger at your partner or to not reach for these reactive things and instead just experience what you're experiencing, right? To just face it, just feel it, which is so much easier said than done. It's a life's work, honestly. Um, but but that's the practice, right? To to and and. Actually, the non-reaction, the word in Sanskrit is viragya, which means literally to not get stirred up, right? To, oh, for some reason, what the image that comes to mind is sitting at the Thanksgiving table, <laughs> right? And and someone says something, and it'll be different this year, but say in years past, and, and it, somebody says something, and instead of getting stirred up and reacting and yelling, or getting stirred up and shoveling pie in your mouth or getting stirred up and um, finishing your glass of wine in one sip, right? It's just, could you just sit there and experience your reaction and experience their words, right? Um, It doesn't mean you don't take action. It's just this um, ability to pause so that it's not simply a reaction. Um. Yeah, and, and, you know, you can really see that in meditation. It's sort of a mini example of that, right? You, like, feel an itch on your cheek, and instead of reacting immediately and, like, shaking it off and itching it, you just notice it and feel it and fa- kind of face it. <laughs> and then, you know, a lot of the time, it sort of goes away on its own um, just by allowing it, to, just by you allowing it to be recognized, or, you know, in this case, it'd be me, I guess. All right, so um, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, next week we have uh, Amy Wo on. She is truly a life force. Um, so please tune in. I think you'll really enjoy our interview. It was a real party. Um, <laughs> so just to give you a hint, she owns a company called Disco Wellness. So get pumped. Um, yeah, and, and until then, uh, still bad at ending these, huh? Really bad. Just so hard to say goodbye. <laughs> All right. Well, see you next week. Bye.